0: Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Eagle Brook Church Leadership Podcast. My name is John Alexander, and I'm here with Don. Don, how are you doing? <laughs> oh. Just straight. Yeah, just totally straight. Just, how are you doing? It, good.
1: <laughs> good. We're coming out of a season of Easter. Incredible. And it's still cold.
0: That's bad. Yeah. We should do a podcast about Easter. Easter. We should. Yeah, big three weekends. You're right. We should That'd be good. How about you, John? How are I'm, you? I'm doing great. And uh, really, truly, am I'm doing great. Mm-hmm. I, Easter was inspiring, amazing. Um, other than the cold weather, like you said, I mean, I'm I'm doing really good. But did you know this is our thirtieth episode that we've done together for the Eagle Work Church Leadership Podcast? I did not. 30? No. It's so, so thinking about that, if you were to tell people what the absolute can't miss episode is, because I mean, let's be honest, they're all can't miss. Of course, of truly, course. yes. But what would you say? What are those like top couple episodes? Well. You know? Have was, people listen to that.
1: I think you got to go back to the early episode of vision culture. It really is who we are. Staff commitments, transformation, cheese balls. Those are some of the things that we just talk about. It's a normal part of our culture. But I got to be honest, this the last one with Jeremy kind of stole the the year. Jeremy I mean, Freeland. Jeremy Freeland
0: from bartender to pastor. Yep. Everyone's got to hear that one. That's for sure. He should write a book from bartender to pastor. I know. That's a title. It Let's is. write That's it
1: awesome. What about
0: you? Well, I'd say there was one episode where you weren't available. Oh, and, that was uh, best, yeah. I recorded with Ryan Leak, and that was actually one of my favorite <laughs> Yes, of <laughs> you know, that's course it was. <laughs> 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 oh, wow. uh, you didn't see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. Uh, but today we are really good. excited because we've got Brett Schmidt, who mm-hmm. is the group's director at Eaglebrook Church. And Brett, we are really excited to have you. Tell us who you are and what you do exactly. Yeah.
2: Well, I need to let you know that... This is literally the first time I have ever been on a podcast. Mm, okay, So as you need to tell me to <laughs> slow down or enunciate a little bit or sit on my hands because they're flailing like I'm all ears. So um, this is uh, super exciting uh, for me. I'm the group's director at Eagle Brook. And what that basically means is I am responsible for the overall structure and strategy of groups. And so as I process through and pray through and think through and then plan out what groups should be for our church, what we hope they are for our church, Uh, I work with a groups developer, her name is Kristen, and uh, we then create all the resources with other departments, common, creative, and things like that, send those out to the campuses, everything that the pastors of groups need in order to help our people get connected in a group or in a group experience. So Mm. that's
0: basically what I do. Okay, and so you you said all that, you're the groups director, but what you're actually championing is the value of community, correct? Yeah, yes. I mean, community is... You know the the value that we're going after. So why does community matter so much in the life of a Christ follower?
2: Man, you're 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 jumping right in, John. Yeah, Let's I know. Jump. Let's get to it. Let's here we go. go. Here we go. Uh, our tagline is that life transformation happens best in community. I mean, we talk about it. It's on our T-shirts, so it's like it's a it's a real thing for us. And mm-hmm. so um, I know that this uh, podcast isn't necessarily a Bible and a theology podcast, but it's a leadership podcast, and the Bible and theology makes sense in it. So. Mm-hmm. Um, let me go back to Genesis and talk about the fact that uh, we were created to be in community because uh, we were created in the image of God and uh, God is in communities. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. When He said, "Let us make man and woman in our in my, our image," right? He's talking about Himself in the midst of in the midst of community. So, part of what it means to even be created in the image of God is that we are created with a desire and with a need to be in relationship with with others, to be in a family, to be in a, a tribe, whatever you want to call it, right? We see that play out in the Old Testament as uh, the people of God, as the, as the Jewish people, as Israel uh, is in relationship and community with one another. Uh, God gives them, hey, this is what you need to uh, do in the midst of community. This is who you need to be in the midst of community. And that's played out in basically all the, the books of the Old Testament, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jesus comes on the scene, and his goal is to help restore the broken relationships that exist in this world. Especially between God and His people, and then He has obviously three friends. He's got twelve disciples. He's got multitudes, and in the midst of that, there's all sorts of interactions that He has as He builds and develops relationships with with uh, with people. And when He died and uh, rose again, and uh, eventually went to be with the Father, He's coming back. Uh, went to be with the Father. He encouraged folks to continue to do what they'd been doing with him, and the church was born, right? Acts mm-hmm. chapter 2. Mm-hmm. And they followed Jesus, and they spent time with God, and they served others, and they lived generously, and they did all of this in the midst of community together. Mm-hmm. It's actually Eagle Brook's five values, as mm-hmm. you know, right? Yes. Right? <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: Yep. Uh, I guess— um, you can do these five values by yourself, I suppose, but it's probably a whole lot more fun, fulfilling, fruitful, if you get to do them with each other. I actually had a, a pastor once tell me that you literally cannot be a Christian without being in community. Mm. Now, again, I, I won't go as far as maybe he was pressing it, but what I got out of it is that you you can't fully live out what it means to be a Christian unless you do that in community. You can't do it all by yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh Love one another in John chapter 13. Mm-hmm. Or honor another above yourselves in Romans chapter 12. Or again, over 60 times, right, the New Testament talks about these one another's. And I think Andy Stanley was uh, the guy who said, you know, the ancient church was basically busy one anothering one another. Mm-hmm. Right? And I don't mm-hmm. think actually anything has changed mm-hmm. in, uh, in the modern church. Mm-hmm. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Forgiving each other, bearing with one another, building each other up, encouraging one another. I mean, we could go on and on and on and on on. Right? I think there's actually a one another about washing feet in there, John. I don't yes, know if you're a yeah, big fan of yes, that, right? You're right,
0: you're right. <laughs> or one, one.
2: one another about uh, you know uh, uh, greeting someone with a holy kiss, mm-hmm. uh, Don. You might be a little bit more, uh, maybe careful. not. Yeah, <laughs> <careful>. yeah <right. laughs> But all that to say, I think what it comes down to is my belief in, and I think the Bible really backs it up that. Um, every Christian person needs people who hold them accountable, right? This this truth and love kind of piece needs people who uh, offer them support and encouragement in their daily lives and then needs people who help them grow and develop spiritually. Cause it's like, it's quite a, a journey to be on.
0: Mm-hmm. So there, there's my, that's there's, great. Yeah. Man, that's yeah. such a strong case for community.
1: So small groups, really aren't your idea, even though you're the right. director of small groups. Right. You're saying this is God's idea, Jesus role-modeled this. Absolutely. And we'd be wise to follow that as well.
2: Amen to that. Yeah. Yeah. I can, yeah. I Let's feel call your, it prayer. Yeah. <laughs> I feel your
1: passion already for yeah. it. You can tell yeah. why you do what you do. So yeah. thanks for doing that. Have you seen examples maybe on the other side where this has worked out poorly within our church or other churches in some way?
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I would say that... Um, the value of, uh, of connecting and community can get lost a little bit uh, when a church is called to do a whole bunch of different things. Okay? Uh, they might say, we like groups, uh, but let's have a Romans class. And then let's have a parenting seminar, and then let's have a night of prayer, and how about a food pantry, and how about mission trips, and yeah. how about a women's conference, and how about a men's game feed, right? With yeah. a good, some good old venison <laughs> or whatever we're in there, right? Yeah. And then there's yeah. this and that, and let's go back to Romans again, and then Romans one more time, okay? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, truth be told, it might take that many times to actually work through Romans and, and understand it, but with so many different kinds of things that are going on in the life of the church— uh, one of the things that usually suffers are the opportunities that are specifically designed for what I said earlier. Accountability, support, encouragement, and to help people grow in their faith together, okay? Now, interestingly enough, uh, almost all of what I said about these other options can actually be part of a church, but you can do them through groups, which mm-hmm. I think is actually pretty, pretty interesting, but... Um, but I think sometimes, you know, things get lost when, uh, when there's so much going on in a church.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's good.
2: I would say one, yeah, one other mistake maybe would be a, like a, a, a lack of clarity in terms of what groups are, what they're for, how I get in one, how I lead one. Um, and we've had to work pretty hard at this over the past couple of years to really help people understand just groups in general. Because up until even a few years ago, people didn't necessarily even hear that much about groups on a regular basis. But thanks to the teaching team, uh, you know, Jason, Ryan, and certainly you, John, uh, people at Eaglebrook hear about groups all the time now. And, and we really appreciate that. Like, that's, a game, that's a game changer for us. And so in, in the groups department, like, we have to be ready and, and, uh, and have our act together in terms of what it, you know, what it means to, uh, to have groups and what they're for. So just a couple of quick ways that that plays itself out. Uh, in the groups world, we have two wins for our groups. Number one is we want it to be an engaging experience for everyone that's involved, okay? But we also want to see it to be a place where relationships are developed that can literally help transform a person's life. So there are two wins that we're looking at in terms of when we look at groups and and how successful groups are, are are they winning in these two ways? Engaging group experiences and transformational relationships. And that's basically maybe for us internally, but even the clarity for an attender, like, I, I want them to have all their questions answered about groups before they even ask them. And so I would love for a person to say, oh, I, I get it now. I, I can sign up for a group like three times a year on the groups directory, which is our online tool where you can look through groups that might, you know, that might pertain to me and then I can choose one or two that I want to check out. It's like, okay, I got it. I'll, I'll take a look. Mm-hmm. And when my group start, I want them to realize that, you know, oh, I come to the church for that first meeting. So I don't have to go up to a stranger's door and, and knock on their door and then, you know, hang out with a bunch of other strangers in a place that I'm not really comfortable with. Great. I'll be at the church for that first week of, of group life. Mm-hmm. I want them to know, hey, but after that, uh, I I head to the home for this study on this night. And since it's only 10 weeks, like I don't have to hang out with these people anymore if I find that they're strange or that they're weird. Sounds good to me. (laughs) Um, I may find that I want to stay with uh, a group for a certain period of time or or find another group or even start my own. And if I want to do this, I know that there's a pastor of groups that is going to help me, uh, give me everything I need in order to help me be a great group leader, the best one that I can be. And if I lead during a specific session, but then I can't lead during session number two because my kid plays hockey, you know, things like that happen, that's okay. So I want our attenders to even know that about our groups. And if we can answer all those questions before they ask, I think it gives them more like oomph to say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in and uh, try a group or even try to, uh, to lead one. So we, we've come a long way in that regard, mm-hmm. uh, but we have a long way to go still.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, I think you just referenced this idea of sessions, Uh, I think that's one of the more successful things that we've recently activated at our church. What are some recent strategies that you've seen that we've put towards small groups that is especially effective right now?
2: Yeah, it's great. Uh, Yeah, I think the session model is is one of those pieces. We wanted to make sure that we had easy on-ramps and easy off-ramps for people to attend a group, Mm -hmm. as well as easy on-ramps and off-ramps for people to lead a group. Because back in the day, it's like, when I signed up for a group, how long was I in that group? Well, basically tell the group disbands because yeah, right. no one wants to be the person that leaves the group, even right. though it's, you know long ago they should have left it. Mm-hmm. Uh, or like when I started a group, I'm basically going to lead forever, even though, you know my life situation has changed or I no longer want to lead or whatever it happens to be. And so we've really developed an opportunity for people to say, hey, this is my group season. I might continue on to the next season in session, or I might need to take a break because of life mm-hmm. or whatever. I mean, life revolves around starting and stopping things, mm-hmm. classes, sports, all these different pieces. But uh, we didn't have that, and so that's one of those. One of those, I think, those strategies that we've developed that has been successful. Mm-hmm. And probably another thing that that we worked on is to try to figure out how to address the barrier. That exists between someone sitting anonymously in an auditorium of hundreds, up to a thousand people, right? More than that, sometimes, uh, into not being anonymous because they're sitting in a group of eight to ten around a, around a living room, mm-hmm. and so for a bunch of reasons, people may not be able to take that jump. Whether it's Midwest individualism, or they've been burned by close relationships before, they feel like they don't they don't know enough, or their life isn't isn't together enough, um, but thousands. Uh, weren't or th- thousands aren't involved in a group, never have been, and so we're trying to, to change the, the rest of that phrase, which n- never will be. And so, mid-sized groups were something that that came onto our radar screen. Uh, we, if you're familiar with Eagle Brook, we used to call them, you know, uh, uh, short-term groups or other different iterations. But mid-sized groups—they're not small groups, guys. Mm-hmm. They're not large groups. They okay. are mid-sized yes. groups. So <laughs> ingenious, in there, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so think about that a little bit. Um, the goal of a mid-sized group is to help the unconnected person get connected. Okay. Uh, uh, for example, a young adult uh, not ready to take a step from the auditorium into a group of eight to 10. How about if you come to a campus? Come to a campus five Tuesdays in a row from 6.30 to 8.30. Uh, there'll be other young adults there. We'll uh, listen to a teaching or a presentation or a, an interview or something, something that pertains to, to their life, and they'll break into groups and have some discussion on it. There's probably some time to hang out and some uh, little snacks, but it's really meeting people in their stage of life. So again, helping the unconnected person to get connected, but also to give them just like a little, a little taste of community what it's like to be in community, maybe to the point where when the session model comes around again, they'd be willing to sign up for a group of eight to 10 in a living room because community is actually not so scary and something that they desire and that they want. And the beauty uh, of these mid-sized groups is that they happen at our campuses. Our campuses choose what they want to do. They uh, plan out what they want to do. They coordinate what they want to do. Uh, and really, who God is is calling them to, to focus in on for that particular season, whether it's uh, young moms or young adults or married couples or empty nesters or whatever it happens to be. And uh, we just try at the central office to, to resource as as best we can. Mm-hmm. And so, again, session model, mid-sized groups, there's just a couple a of couple Couple ways that mm. that we're trying to move forward, and we found some success in.
1: Just break it down really quickly. The yep. session model. How long is it? Because I know it's short term. And does the midsize fit within the session model, or is it independent of?
2: Ah, so sessions run eight to ten weeks. Okay. So usually they're ten weeks. Okay. Uh, and about. Two to three weeks after our session starts, our small group session starts, we'll jump into mid-sized groups at campuses. Okay. And really, it's an opportunity for people who uh, forgot and missed the sign-up, right? Uh, or it's people that didn't find necessarily the group that they were looking for. Uh, or like, you know what? I said earlier, they they don't really want to take that step from the auditorium into a group. And so, so for all these different reasons, we kind of stagger them a little bit and start them a few weeks after the session starts. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Okay. So I have a challenging question. Yes, Mm -hmm. And the question is, are you ready for this? (laughs) Do small groups still work? Mm. Now I, I asked that in love um, and genuine curiosity because it's a strategy that's been around for several decades in a lot of ways. Now just high level historically in most churches, Sunday school was kind of where community happened, or it was in the foyer or the lobby, grabbing coffee, you know, grabbing a cookie, those type of things. <laughs> but but Sunday school is kind of the place where they gather around teaching. I don't mean Sunday school for kids. I mean, Sunday school for adults. But the last several decades, Sunday school um, really has been replaced by small groups. Don, we have a history of that here at our church. Can you give us just a brief... Overview of the history of small groups at our church. Well, I can
1: take a shot at it. I've never been directly (laughs) in charge of groups, (laughs) but I've, you know, had the opportunity to observe it over time. And I, I did talk to Dale Peterson, who was over small groups well 22 years ago, as he reminded me where we did have Sunday school, and Sunday school was a vibrant part of our church, and lots of people got into a pocket. We actually were—I don't even know if you know this—we actually had a shuttle that would run to a a hotel nearby because we couldn't even fit in the space. Oh, my gosh. So Sunday School was a rather successful model. And then Dale comes in and says, we're going to shut that down because of what Brett's saying. It's not your fault, Brett. But (laughs) that idea of—and this is interesting for church leaders to wrestle with is because it feels successful. There's 50, there's 100 people coming. But how much transformation is really happening? Those other things you talked about, accountability, encouragement— I mean, yeah, you're getting some decent teaching in a mid-sized group like that. But we discovered that we really wanted a greater transformation, accountable type environment. So Dale was the guy that kind of broke it uh, to all those Sunday school groups that were going on. We're moving into the small group model. Uh, the story has it
0: that 400 people left the church yeah. at this time. He always says he's responsible for 400 people leaving the church. It's right. like, what kind of mistake have you, you made? Well, <laughs> he wouldn't call it a mistake, but what kind of decision have you made? And then he said, well, I've made one where 400 people left the church. Yes, that's pretty good. Yeah. That's And
1: it was a smaller church then. So 400 was yep. a, a massive move. So we went away from that and moved into small groups. And we've had different iterations of small groups uh, where there were coaches, directors, coaches, maybe even team leads in there for a while. And then we realized that... Uh, a coach was overseeing so many people and the people were not reporting back to the coach because they were a volunteer. So then we said, no, let's have all the small group leaders report directly to a paid person. And then I think we even set the number like 100 groups would go to a paid person. And then what we realized is that's pretty much what a small group leader is. And now some of our small group leaders oversee more than 100 groups. And so we've reinstituted some of the coaching leadership structure, coach uh, leadership training that we have for small group leaders. So we've gone through Sunday school, two small groups. We've developed a leadership structure for small group leaders. We now do have a small group pastor at all 10 locations. We actually have one for online too. So we have 11 small group pastors. I think most of them do have coaches that are volunteers that come alongside that help oversee the span of care.
2: Directors come directors now, yep. Okay.
1: Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good to know. <laughs> directors. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Okay. Yeah. yeah we're learning stuff <laughs> here too. Yeah. So uh and right now, do you even know how many people are in a small group or have been this year?
2: Yeah, just just short of 8,000 people have yeah. been in a group this year. And again, we still have, you know, we still have another session, you know, we run a, a summer session and things like that in a couple of mid-sized groups that are happening this summer. So, yeah. like a ton of people. Yeah. Like I said before, still thousands that haven't. So, yeah. we're we're working on that. So, right. Yeah. And
1: if you're a smaller church, don't, you know, the numbers aren't that significant as much as we want you to find your structure. Yeah. How will you train small group leaders? How will you create a transformational experience, not just a Sunday school or a midsize experience where the same people come together and watch a video? How do you get them into life-changing groups? And I think that's where we've gotten ourselves to now in the session model. with the on-ramp, off-ramp has been one of the more successful things that I've seen, and so we're in a really good place. Yeah, we right are. Now.
0: So thanks for that history. So essentially, if I'm, I mean, the the brief, short version is we've been doing small groups at Eaglebrook Church for two decades. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a least, strategy yeah. we've implemented for a long time now. Right. Tweaks and you know, you adjust here and there. It's similar to saying we've been doing rock style worship music for you know, a couple decades. I mean, there's certain strategies that you just ask. Back to my question do small groups still work? Mm. Groups director, not you wouldn't be out of a job if you say no. Okay, let's well, just be clear. Clip- well, I have be. Better, <laughs> uh, a pretty good answer yeah. right now. let the record show that yes, <laughs> okay, good. small groups still work. <laughs> yes, and
2: if you want a little more on that, yes, I, can, I do okay.
0: want oh, some more. Okay, okay that, all right, yes. all right. um, that is a funny question. In <laughs> hindsight, <laughs> to be asking the group director, whose job but you know what I'm that. saying. Yeah. We always put strategies. I mean, I oversee yeah. the weekend services, and we're asking, does the model we use of you know a couple worship songs up front, and you know some announcements. And teaching, so yep. and just putting it in the center on the table and saying, yeah. does it still work? Does it still effectively lead to community? Anyways, back mm-hmm. to the group's director. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, absolutely, it does.
2: And that's just not coming from the fact that that's my job, that's my heart and my passion. And don't, you know, and you all, you know this. Uh, you know, during during COVID, uh, we've been battling that, but we've also been battling each other for in, in various ways through the past number of years now, right? And I think people really want to connect again. It's been too long. It's just been too much and. People, are, they're ready to move into experiences that are positive, that are encouraging, and back into relationships that can literally help them move forward in life. And so to throw a little uh, statistics out there, a little Barna research, and is most, uh, their most uh, recent research about you know, uh, what it means to be a follower of Christ, uh, what they found is that 56% of Christians say yes to the three things that I mentioned earlier. Yes, I'm in a relationship with others where we hold each other accountable— Yes, I'm in a relationship with others where we offer encouragement and support, and yes, I'm in a relationship with others where we help each other to grow spiritually. So again, over half of of Christians, Uh, but what the research also shows is that younger generations, uh, Gen Z and millennials, uh, they're even more apt to say yes to this question, more than even some of the older generations and when you add to that fact that uh, the percentage of black adults and then Hispanic adults and then Asian adults and then white adults make up that 56 percent, uh, again, I'm going to read something from the Barner Research, both younger Christians as well as ethnic minority groups in the church are inclined toward a vibrant social experience of spirituality, so, like, we're, we're seeing this uh, in our church, like, play itself out with young adults. Young adults are wanting to connect at Eaglebrook, and we're trying to figure out exactly what that looks like, right? So, 56% say yes to these things, three, three things, 44% say they don't, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they don't want to, and so we're providing those opportunities, and even for the folks that don't want to or don't need to, we're, I think, trying to figure out how we... Uh, how we help paint that picture, as we talked about even you know, in previous questions, that community is important for who they are and who they can become.
0: Mm-hmm. That's great.
1: That might tie right into my question, because one of the things we often say is we want a large church to feel small, yeah. and people that take that step into a small group, they start to experience that. What, what does that mean to you, and why do you think that is so important?
2: Don, I'm going to press you here for just for a moment oh on, your, on your phrase, okay. right? Um, in terms of, you know, we want the big church to feel small. I, mm-hmm. I know what you're saying, mm-hmm. um, but I also am not convinced that people always want their big church to feel small because there's energy. There's, uh, again, a responsibility. There's all the stuff that happens in the midst of a big church. So if I can change it just slightly, yeah. uh, no disrespect, obviously, how about if in this big church, we want people to feel known. Mm. Can, we, can we go with that? Yeah, all right. that's good. Good because that's how I—that's how I'm thinking about it. So, yeah, right. no, um, I like it. So, in order to uh, help people feel known in this big church, I, th- I think we have to move away from seeing groups or see connecting community being more, uh, being only like just the group time where 10 to 12 people are getting together on a Thursday at 6.30 every other week or whatever. We got to move away from like connecting community just being that. Yeah, there might be chips and dip or some great treats or whatever. And, you know, they study the Bible and they pray. But, you know, people don't become known, and I mean really known, Mm -hmm. in that hour and a half Mm -hmm. together. Especially when, you know, groups have to cancel and all of a sudden it's a month before their meeting. Like, do you know how much life can happen in the midst of a month Mm -hmm. that people would not know about? Okay. So yeah, it is is attending group time, whether that's every week, every other week, first and third, second and fourth, whatever that happens to to be. But also you become known when your group says, hey, you know what? We're going to go to the four o'clock worship service at White Bear Lake. And then let's hang out a little bit after, chat in the lobby or go out to Cup and Cone or whatever it happens to be, or go out for pizza. Um, Or, you know, being known happens when uh, you call someone in your group because during, you know, prayer they were talking about, I have a medical test coming up or, you know, my grandma's not doing well or my kids are really struggling. Um, Being known is when a group leader texts his group to say, hey, I just want to let you know I'm, I'm praying for you. Or being known, like when occasionally you head out to have a burger and a Diet Coke together, an amazing, amazing mm. choice, burger and Diet Coke. Perfect. Uh, when you uh, invite someone to to come and, you know, paint a room with you at their at their house, or when you borrow a tool to someone, or when you babysit their kids, or what it happens to be. Again, life transformation happens best in community. And being a part of a community is far more than just the hour and a half that, uh, that people spend together. And so, um, so really that's that piece of, of making us feel known, making folks feel known in a church that's big. And mm. I think wonderfully big.
0: Yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, Hey, let's, let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, we've talked about finding community, uh, the value of, of community, the different strategies we're implementing. What about being a small group leader? Um, let's talk about that. And what would you say to people who think like, I I can't possibly be a small mm-hmm. group leader because there are a lot of people who hear that we're recruiting small group leaders and are thinking, I'm not a pastor. I'm not good enough Christian. I'm not, I am mean, what would you say to those people who have those doubts?
2: Yep, there are times in which I will say, hey, we, we need you. Uh, there are other times in which I will say, hey, we want you, but let's put it together and say, hey, we need you and we want you. So here's what we mean by that. We ask two things of our group leaders. Do you have a desire to connect people in Christ-centered community, and can you facilitate a spiritual discussion? Okay, let me say that again. Do you have a desire to connect people in Christ-centered community, and can you lead and facilitate a spiritual discussion? If so, then our pastors of groups would love to chat with you. There, there's a process. I mean, there's like an application and a group leader agreement and an interview, and we ask our group leaders actually to to do a background check because we feel like they're an extension of us as as pastors and ministers, and they're they're leading a group of people in their home, so we want that to be safe uh, as safe as they can outside the church walls. So there is a there is a process. But we'll train you, we'll resource you, we'll support you, we'll pray with you, we'll pray for you. And we will, as pastors of groups at the campuses, stay connected with you. Um, We say that, uh, you know, group leaders don't need to, to teach they don't need to be biblical scholars. They don't need to have all the answers. In fact, if they do have all the answers, we'll probably say, I'm not quite sure that we want them to actually be a small group leader because they're probably looking for something else. But if they're passionate, again, about connecting people and able to facilitate that discussion, again, for at least a 10-week session, because that's all all we ask, then please, our pastor groups would love uh, love to chat. So, um, in fact, they, they can go to uh, a little shameless plug here. They can go to the, to the Eagle Brook website under the groups tab, and there's a spot to fill out an application to be a, a group leader. And now is actually a good time to do that because uh, session three, which is our summer session, which is like a June-July session, uh, people can start signing up for those groups in mid-May. So like right now, our pastors of groups are recruiting mm-hmm. and onboarding and training group leaders. So Thanks for letting awesome. me uh, put the plug I in there. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Hey,
0: let's talk about, let's shift gears, not not shift gears too far from that because we've all had experience leading groups, being part of small groups. Don, what's your small group experience been like? You've been part of some, you've led some. Let yeah. me talk a little bit about your experience. And Brett, I want to hear from you too.
1: Yeah, I'm a huge proponent of small groups. Brett, I believe everything you're saying down to my toes. Thanks, we so. all need to be in community with other people. Uh, even that word is a little... Mm, Overused or whatever, because it's really just about having friends that care for you, know you, love you, pray for you, challenge you. And I've been in a small group for many years now. It's a group of guys that I met in college, and uh, we do meet monthly. And like you said, there's a lot that can happen in between. Uh, We actually have six commitments. How about this, Brett? You don't even know the six commitments that we live by. Next level done. Here we go live fully aware of God's love, be in scriptures. Uh, on a regular basis, uh, love and lift up our wives. Help our kids to make their faith and lives their own. Invest in the next, invest in the next generation, and then we also want to make sure that we're living in social justice too, and bringing those things Good. forward. So, was that five or six? I feel you might like have to
2: was... send me those. That might that might show up in some group uh, curriculum at yes. some point. You never so, know. So
1: <laughs> there you go. Those are the commitments we live by, and we ask each other regularly about. How are you loving your wife? How are you investing in your kids? Are you doing anything about the next generation? And so it's been a good thing for us. It's a recentering for us. And we've gone on trips together. We've been to each other's homes. We've prayed for each other's kids all growing up. And uh, I can't imagine doing life any differently. And even here's a real life example is I've had four different roles while I've been here at Eagle Brook. And I, I will bring the job description if I'm when I was looking into the job I'm currently in and I said, you guys read this and now you know me, is this a good fit for me? And so we'd take time to talk through those, those different things. So I'm a huge fan of being a part of small groups. I also have led different small groups along the way, especially for leadership training or some other uh, short-term kind of group. Uh, And so being in a group and leading a group is something that's been a part of my diet for many years. And I can't encourage it enough. Yeah. You're a part of a small group. Too. I am, yeah. I've yeah. been a
0: part of a small group for 10 plus years. And it's a group of, um, there's now five couples, families, couples. And we started with like two kids in the group. Now there's, I actually don't totally know. I yeah. think there's like 15. It's a takeover. I don't, I, don't yeah. I don't know how many kids there are. Mm-hmm. And we've um, just been a part of each other's lives. Mm-hmm. And um, we've had some challenging moments, some really great moments, but we've stuck together. We've even had some moments of looking at each other like, are we going to keep doing this? Mm-hmm. Of... This is really. This has actually been really hard, and people have gone different directions. They've had questions about their faith, their commitment to church, just how are we raising our kids? And but through it all, um, because we've stuck together, we've had this value of looking back over the last ten years. But I've also been a part of many other groups, leading groups of middle school boys, um, being a part of uh, leading kids groups at one point, um, part of um, leading a uh, session they were back then they were called short term groups yeah brett. that's will yeah, give then, you that short term yeah, group yep, right. uh, yep. for a time, i led some online during mm-hmm. the covid oh, only yeah. season right. yep. and um but yeah the the group that i've been a part of the longest has been a, that group that's been together for 10 plus years brett how about you are you a part of leading a group part of a group yeah absolutely <laughs> <laughs> that's good yeah i,
2: I am uh, i again i i just feel strongly that uh, you know i want to be the example and not the exception i can't ask people to uh, to be in groups or lead groups unless i'm willing to do that myself so my wife and i have certainly been in, in groups for basically all of our married lives. I would probably say that we've led more than being members of them. And that's basically because as a groups guy, I just can't get myself out of like, hey, we should have done that differently or better or whatever. So if things, uh, when I lead and if things go wrong in, in the group, then I really have no one to blame but myself uh, or, Shan, why don't you why don't you bail me out there or whatever. Yeah. So mm-hmm. uh, we're, we uh, have led groups and we're continuing to lead a group. So right now, uh, the group that we're leading is a group for either newly or mostly empty nest couples. And so the way that we've actually formed groups is just, Shan and I just kind of pray it through and said, who has God put us in relationship with that uh, we could ask to be a part of a group? Because nine times out of 10, if you ask someone to be in a group with you, they will say yes. Yes. Uh, And so we've really dived into that and said, hey, you know what, we're going to be the ones to ask uh, our friends, neighbors, whatever, to be in in a group. And so in a group right now, uh, parents of empty nesters. And so uh, we are certainly walking that journey together because it's really a unique time in life. Jino, you're not quite there yet, yeah, but Don, yeah. you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, just show it up. And yeah. uh, we, uh, we love season. it, but it's it's also challenging too. Yeah. Um, but I would also say um, it gives us the opportunity. Most of the couples in the group uh, have, have walked with Christ for a long time. And so yeah. like right now, our curriculum is Psalm 23. And you think, oh, well, we we know Psalm 23. We have it memorized. We have the tattoo, whatever it happens to be. But mm-hmm. um, we just decided to take a fresh, deeper look at Psalm 23 because... The couples in my group sometimes would have a tendency to take scripture for granted, like, oh, know what it says, know what it means. But really taking a step back is, no, do we really know what it says and really know what it means? So what brought us together was kind of our empty nest piece. What keeps us together is walking that journey Mm -hmm. together, but also just diving into the scriptures or whatever we happen to be learning on any given week.
0: And as empty nesters, you probably talk about how you watch birds because mm-hmm. that's what Don does you know, yes, when he gets 20 That's nice. what you do so, when you get old. That's a dad joke right <laughs> there. You're
2: on your way, buddy.
0: All right, let me ask this kind of final question. But this yep. has been a great conversation, a um, lot of insight. Brett, you're clearly passionate and gifted mm-hmm. at um, leading this value of community and, and small group strategy at Eagle Brook. But let me ask to both of you here, um, kind of speaking to other church leaders and maybe church leaders who are trying to increase this value- um, they're looking ahead to the future. I even asked that question. Maybe they are too. Like, is small groups still an effective strategy? Is that what I want to do? So I'm going to ask this question. Um, what would you say to other church leaders who are trying to build some momentum with the value of community? And how does that apply to the future of small groups? Like, is this is this the future? Is this what people need to invest in if they're a church leader or do they need to cut ties and go in a different direction? Like, what what does that look like for other churches and church leaders? Brett, we'll start with you.
2: I'd love to start on that one. <laughs> um, earlier, I talked about the fact that you know churches get a little bit a little bit scattered because there's there's so many choices, and what suffers is the group or a group experience. Uh, but really, as a church is trying to build momentum, I do think that in their group structure and strategy, there still needs to be uh, choices. Options, opportunities. Okay, I take you know virtual I- I groups as an example. During COVID, you know we asked all of our small groups to go online, and they all did, including my own. And I, I gotta be honest, I I hated it. I mean, it was awkward, it was impersonal, it was sterile. My leadership was not high, and it was it was certainly waning, and I could feel that, and my my group could feel that. And yet, I heard from other groups like. You know what? We're having an incredible time meeting meeting online. I mean, it's deep, it's engaging, it's authentic, it's transformational. And Don, I think you, you talked about you know a virtual group. It's like that's been a, a good big piece of your of your life. And so, mm-hmm. what I mean by choice is that in person groups, virtual groups, they need to happen. Okay, you can still give choice while still staying focused on the path that you want for people, which is to be in a group or a group experience whether it's uh, you know, the kind of curriculum, or if it's an open group or a closed group, whether it's a mid-sized group or whatever it happens to be, you, know, uh, you can give that power of choice and still really um, focus in on what you're calling people to do. And so um, if you don't give choices to people and they thus choose not to be a part of a group or a group experience— I think a church has to own the responsibility that, you know what, that's on us as leaders. We didn't provide what they needed to get them into a group, okay? And so it all comes down to uh, you know to knowing and to understanding what you want, focused in that regard, giving people an opportunity to make those choices in terms of what to do next— even though we may not be in a position right now where we can um, speak a lot into who they should be because sometimes people are a little hesitant in terms of, you know, I don't want you telling me what my inner self is or what's important to me or whatever. But if we can get them in, in experiences, especially in community, group-driven experiences where they can start to learn not only what to do, uh, but also maybe how I should be thinking or how I should be feeling. I think that's a, that's a win, and I think that's spiritual growth. I think that's spiritual development, and it hasn't taken away their power to to choose. But they're looking for a little bit more, uh, a little bit more uh, uh, focus, and and we're we're there to help them figure out what that is. It's
1: mm-hmm. great. It's good. Don, how about you? Yeah, if I were to say first on a personal note, we're talking mostly to leaders. Leaders are listening to this. Leaders cannot run alone. You cannot be a cowboy and be a leader, unless you're Jeremy from yeah, yeah, last <laughs> yeah. But really you need to be in community. I mean, leaders deal with difficult things all the time in work and outside of work, and you just cannot be alone. Every leader listening should be in a small group. You need to have that kind of community that Brett has so eloquently described all throughout this. So, uh, but then as church leaders, setting up a system like Brett has worked on so hard uh, if you can steal our method, by all means do it. It doesn't have to be our method. It's not perfect, but find a way that people can find that same kind of community. Because, just as Brett even said, to be a Christian and be alone is even difficult. To be a leader and be alone is especially difficult. So everybody needs community. Get in a community and find a way to to facilitate that at your church and. It's,
0: it's a part of our future, too, to answer that question. Yeah, I, I don't think it's going anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Well, what a great conversation. Brett, thanks for being a part of it. Thanks for speaking passionately. And um, just uh, so, art- you know, you're, you're able to articulate the value in such specific and concrete ways that's really helpful for, I I know that so much of the um, reason we have found an increase of people who are um, jumping into small groups and finding communities because of your leadership. And so we're just really grateful for that. And I know you'd Thank pass you. the credit and give, so I can just do that for you, all the small group leaders, all the, mm-hmm. you know, all the small group pastors and all those things. But but really because of your leadership, um, this value has just increased tremendously at our church. So we're grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Anything Perfect. else to add? Oh, I think that's great. Thanks, Brad. Thanks for leading the way. And yeah, you're helping a
1: lot of people find community in a, a new and fresh way. So thanks for your leadership. Thanks for taking time with us today.
0: Thanks, fellas. Appreciate yeah. it. Yep. Well, hey, that's all we got for this episode of the Eagleburg Church Leadership Podcast. When leaders get better, the church gets better. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you for the next episode of the Eagleburg Church Leadership Podcast.